Welcome to the KeysCast, the official podcast of Keesler Air Force Base. Each month or so, we'll bring you interesting interviews with people around Keesler about topics that are relevant to you. Welcome to episode four of KeysCast. On this month's episode, we interview the 81st Training Wing's leadership team, Colonel Deborah A. Lovett, Commander, Colonel Mike Smith, Vice Commander, and Chief Master Sergeant Kenneth Carter, Command Chief, as they describe the Wing's new vision, mission, and priorities. This is Tech Sergeant Ryan Crane from the 81st Training Wing Public Affairs Office. Thank you guys for being here with me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Awesome. So, ma'am, as you just revealed to the wing during your commander's call yesterday, kind of introduced the priorities as a a whole to the wing. So we're going to kind of get into those today and talk about, you know, how those came to be and and just address those to the wing and and get that to a little bit of a wider audience. So my first question is, what are the wing's new vision and mission statement and how do they really correlate to each other? Okay. Well, thank you for this opportunity. First of all, Um, these are not significantly different than they have been in the past because um, the mission, vision, priorities for a wing in the Air Force are pretty static. I mean, they're going to be classic, but we did pull the leadership of the wing together to kind of refine them based on the context that we find ourselves in right now, which is obviously with a more um, readiness focus, a little more warfighting global reach kind of focus. And so we wanted to take a look at what we had and then and then tweak based off of that. So we um, we ended up with the mission statement, um, train, develop and inspire premier warfighters. Again, not significantly different, but what you'll note is the word warfighter throughout all of these, um, denoting the importance of what we're training airmen to do here in the wing. And that includes not just airmen in the training group that are here for technical training, learning their function in the Air Force, but um, also the permanent party, uh, because in effect, all of them are to be lethal trained warfighters that can be deployed and sent around the world to prosecute uh, whatever we need to do uh, on behalf of national security. So so that's kind of the, the theme. And then the vision uh, is to be the preeminent training enterprise, delivering innovative and mission-ready warfighters. And so you'll also note the theme of innovation throughout these um, priorities that we have. Um, not that we haven't always been innovative in the Air Force. We were born of innovation to begin with. And so uh, that's kind of been our, our hallmark but what we do have is an institution that uh, has been built over some amount of time with a bit of bureaucracy and a bit of institutional lag. And so our leadership now is giving us the opportunity to kind of push back on that and uh, make cutting edge kind of innovations part of our lifestyle um, in order to make, make improvements faster. Um, the priorities you know, we'll cover, I think, throughout this podcast, but primarily focuses on our mission here um, and then caring for the people that we have in a variety of ways. Perfect. Uh, I really just wanted to touch real quick, if you don't mind, on on your, your message about innovation. I really liked your message from the commander's call talking about how, you know, yeah, we're the best Air Force in the world, but we're not going to stay there if we continue to do things like we've always done it. Yes. Uh, you know, talk to me about, about your, your explanation and how you explain that. Yes. So, so one of the, we're in a high performing organization, right? The Air Force. We have the premier Air Force in the world. We're the envy of every other nation. Um, and they come to us seeking training, mentoring, education to kind of benchmark off of us. And so, and so that's all good news. 
But the problem with that is uh, that sometimes when you're in a high-performing organization, there's a tendency to think that you've got it all figured out and that you have all the answers and you get a little bit complacent. And in that complacency comes blind spots and vulnerabilities um, where your potential enemies are still working away, trying to catch up. So that gap in between them and us closes fairly quickly if we sit complacently at the top. And so the idea that we need to continue to push, even though we're a high-performing organization and we, we do very, very well, we still need to look for ways to be better and to improve. Um, the, the anecdote that I used yesterday was really um, for, for people that grew up in the 80s and 90s that understand blockbuster video. So the brick-and-mortar style video checkout store that was everywhere, literally like on almost every corner kind of had the market on renting videos. Physically walking into the store and renting videos was the thing that everyone did for entertainment. Um, and now, of course, you know, it's streaming video that you can get at the, at the push of a button at home or wherever you are as long as you have access to the internet. It's so easy. But for the longest time, they dominated the market. And when the market started to shift a little bit, and by very little bit, I mean, they literally just started mailing these things out instead of having people physically walk into the store. That was the innovation at that time. Um, Blockbuster sort of put the blinders on and continued to press doing what they do, just physically having the videos to check out and not really acknowledging that the market um, was changing. And so um, what I said to the folks at the commander's call was, you don't see a Blockbuster anymore because they're now obsolete. Uh, because they weren't paying attention and they weren't minding the indicators that they might need to change with the times and maybe uh, work really hard to remain on top. It's not a static position. And from what Colonel Lovett just brought up, using the example of brick and mortar in construction terms and then tying that into innovation, it also goes directly into the chief staff of the Air Force vision of the new squadron, of making that the building block of our organization of an Air Force as a whole. Here at Keesler, we're developing the building blocks of the building blocks with each airman that we send through technical training. So as we construct the Air Force of the future, we have to make sure that that's an enduring capability. And the way we do that is through innovation. We're teaching our airmen innovation by innovatively instructing them through the modifications we're making in the training environment. And you see that across technical training within the medical career field and then across the wing as we train everybody on a daily basis with the new way in which you're doing readiness. Yeah, and if I could add something to that, uh, as you heard Colonel Levitt point out, we just came back from Air Force Association uh, down in Orlando, and we got to hear from our senior leaders, you know, General Goldfein, Chief Staff of the Air Force, um, Secretary Air Force Wilson, Chief Master on the Air Force, uh, Kaleth Wright, and other senior leaders, and um, they're, they're very serious about innovation and readiness. And so just on the aspect of innovation, um, they basically did a mock-up of Shark Tank, or what they call Spark Tank. And Spark obviously signifies what, what they're highlighting is innovation. And it, basically what it was is, is our young airmen got to stand in front of a panel uh, of you know, senior leaders in our Air Force and, and pitch ideas that they had come up with that they were actually implementing at their units um, on a smaller scale. And they, they thought, well, you know, in the Air Force, this is definitely something that we can, we can use uh, across our enterprise. And so they pitched their idea and, and 
uh, I will tell you, so it, it's amazing when you listen to some of them. One in particular, KC-135 um, boom operator pitched his idea of, of a, a cushion that, that instead of laying on a, a, con, on a, a, metal, a metal plate uh, at altitude where it's, where it's very cold and uncomfortable, uh, he developed a cushion uh, ergonomically situated for the position that, you know, his crew position, uh, that allowed him to basically stay warm, um, execute his job without focusing on environmental conditions. And he pitched his idea, and uh, the chief of staff of the Air Force said, not only are we going to do that, uh, we're going to heat it. And, uh, and basically, Secretary of the Air Force, uh, they allotted money to, to allow him to implement his idea. So across the board, and there were several other cases that they, they heard that day, um, ideas, innovative ideas from our airmen. So our airmen are smart. Um, they have a lot of great ideas, and uh, we just, as leaders, need to listen. Absolutely. So moving on a little bit, I was I was fortunate enough this past fall to sit in for you know a few sessions of our of the fall offsite and kind of see what goes on behind the scenes there. Now a lot of our airmen don't get to see that; they just see one day, boom, new mission, vision. What does this mean to me? I don't know. I'm just going to keep going to work. But there was a lot of thought that went into that, and it was really interesting to see that. So talk me through, you know, why we decided to do that and, and how we brought everyone together to develop those. So I think one of the one of the most important things that a leader can do in an organization is take the time to think. And so on a day to day basis, it's really quite a challenge. And I think most people can relate just to find the kind of white space that you need to even begin thinking about strategic vision or what your mission is and how it all fits in. So the idea of having an offsite um, sort of allows that time to happen and protects that time for uh, for a couple of days at most um, away from work where you can kind of spend that time focusing and discussing and thinking, which is a very value added uh, thing for an organization. So but the first day, I wanted it to pretty much be focused on the individual development of the people who were in attendance. It was a bit of a wider audience and it was uh, it was an investment in the people. Uh, themselves so that they could maybe introspectively figure out where their own strengths and weaknesses were, um, where their blind spots might be, in order to kind of determine where they might then grow and develop in the future. So it was kind of an investment in that. But what it also did was open the lines of communication for the second day, which was focused on the mission, vision, priorities. So it allowed people to kind of have a little time to think about themselves, their development, their own walls, their own blind spots. And then the second day, be open to conversation about what their contribution to the mission is. Um, and then hopefully allow them to think about it at a different level than they normally see every day. So then the second day, we broke up into different groups, uh, kind of a random mix. We wanted to pull people out of their traditional group structure and kind of mix it up so that you had a variety of experiences and perspectives in each group. And we tried to attack um, what we had as a baseline for mission, vision, and priorities and kind of tweak those. We knew we weren't going to do whole scale change, but we wanted to tweak them a little bit to make them a little bit more universal. And that's why the mix of the perspectives in each group. And so I think that worked out really well because when you look through the mission, vision, and uh, priorities, you should, in theory, be able to see where it is that you contribute or fit in to any of those 
um, mission, vision, priorities uh, from where you sit, from anywhere on this on this base in any organization. And that was kind of the goal, to have an investment in each one of these for everybody uh, around the base. As wing leadership, how can we just blindly go and make a wing mission, vision, and priorities without going to what the Chief of Staff of the Air Force has just said is our building blocks, that's our basic ground strength of the squadron. So we called those squadron commanders and superintendents in, as well as multiple other folks, and said, hey, we know what we're doing here as a wing. We understand between our different groups and our squadrons what our underlying roles and functions are. How does that work into the larger picture? How does that work into the Air Force being ready to conduct its operations across the globe? Now, how does that fit into what we're trying to do here? So we're able to take each one of these statements and the individuals can say, hey, I work in a technical training squadron. I don't see how I fit into this. However, if I word it this way, if we look at it from this aspect, now I see how my airmen can get behind this and what their role is in the greater picture. And so then we modified some of our priorities to make sure that it made sense. And then we're going in and we're constantly adapting these. We talk about them at staff meetings. We talk about them in the office. This is what we're doing. Is this actually resonating with our troops, with our airmen? Are they seeing how they fit into that? And if not, how can we educate them? And then how can they educate us to move it further along? And if I could add to that, so, so our, our focus as a leadership team, and, and that's across the board at Keesler here, not just at the wing level, but all of our leaders out there that supervise and take care of airmen. Um, you know, our most junior person should be able to look at our, our mission, vision, and priorities and say, I know where I fit into that. So along what Colonel Smith and Colonel Levitt are, are saying, the identity aspect, if you can identify how you fit in the job or, or you know, what you do for the Air Force, what it, how it fits into each one of these priorities, the mission and vision, um, that creates value. And so our people then feel and know that they're valued. Uh, and then that equals trust. And so that's what we're trying to build here uh, is an identity so our youngest airmen know how they fit into the picture and can articulate it in relation to our mission, vision, and priorities, um, and, and know that they're valued so that we're not just saying we value you. They know how they fit in and, and, and how that value is created. And then we're a trusting organization, and, and that's how you build and grow, uh, build and grow leaders. So that's, that's what our focus is. So for me, it was really inspiring to see that because, you know, as, as a tech sergeant, I'm on the receiving end of that. I'm the one who's every decision that you make, I'm the receiving end of that. And to see that, you know, my leadership, you know, is taking those things into account. To me, that's that's that makes me, you know, like you said, have trust in the system. And, and I think that's really valuable. And that's what our airmen really care for. Yep. I think that's one of the things that defines us uh, sort of uniquely from, say, a civilian corporation an entity out there that uh, doesn't have this kind of idea, this idea of value. Um, and one of the things that this does, since we made them somewhat universal and applicable to pretty much anyone in this wing, is we made it fairly simple for a commander, a supervisor, a, a flight chief to kind of explain this, connect and engage with airmen and explain how it is that we fit in. It is fairly easy to see. And so by enabling our leadership in the wing to do that, start connecting the dots for the very, very young first-term airman, let's say, or a brand new civilian that's coming in from, 
from school that we just hired into this Air Force culture, they can kind of begin to see where they start fitting in at this level. And job satisfaction, that self-efficacy that you get from what you contribute, that sense of value is something that I think contributes to retention of the kind of talent that we need to retain um, in order to stay on top of our game, which we talked about earlier. Yeah, that's perfect. And I think that's that's a really good segue into, you know, the being able to explain to the airmen what it is, how they fit into that mission. Uh, it ultimately is going to define the why behind why they're doing their job every day. So kind of talk me through how a mission and vision guide our guide what we do every day at the wing here. Why why do I show up to work and do this job? How does how do why am I doing it because of that mission and vision or am I doing it because someone told me to do that? <laughs> right? And this is a this is exactly what we were trying to get at, the why behind what we do. I think generally speaking, training, um, technical training, that mission that we have that uh, primarily resides in the training group, but we also have the graduate medical education program at the hospital and we have um, on-the-job training. We have CDCs that are happening in the permanent party area. We have civilians that are trying to spin up on their job tasks as well. So it's happening everywhere. So this is something that all of us have experienced at some point um, in our in our career field. And so we get the, the tactical nature of training. But what we wanted to do was kind of expand it even further. And you may have seen that and noted that in the commander's call, the connection to what your training to do what that mission ultimately is for you. So say the students that are coming in straight from basic training, they graduate and learn their AFSC right here in the training group, they're going to go out in the operational Air Force somewhere and do this function. We want them to go out knowing what the connection is. We want them actually to study and, uh, and focus on their academics and training here with the mindset of what they're going to be doing with it in the future. So that connection to the operational side of the Air Force, perhaps it's the deployed mission, perhaps it's the mission uh, that stays at home that's domestic, that is something like uh, a Creech, an RPA thing that reaches around the world but sits at home here, um, those kind of things. We want them to feel like that's what they're training for. I think that mindset brings a little bit more commitment, a little more diligence, a little more relevance to what they're training to do. Um, it matters more. Um, what we need to do is make sure that that material that we're giving them in tech training or teaching people at work in their jobs is the most relevant and is the most current and is the most um, state of the art kind. Of, and that's where we're working because obviously with resource constraints, uh, you know, it's it's sometimes a challenge to get there. There are a lot of jobs in the Air Force that when they get called to deploy, they know exactly what they're going to do. Kind of like from the commander's call, an orthopedic surgeon, when he deploys into Iraq, he kind of knows what he's going to do. He's not going to guard a gate. He's not going to fix trucks. He's going to, to be a surgeon. Now, when he gets there, there might be multiple different medical um, experiences that he's going to um, have that aren't necessarily in his um, job jar, but they're kind of, he already knows what they basically are. However, there are also a lot of airmen that when they deploy, they don't know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to be part of a greater team. They might be on a convoy. They might be on, on guard somewhere. They might be helping an international capability with foreign officers and foreign enlisted folks that they have no idea the language that they speak. 
And so what this is, is it's a training environment, whether in technical training or across the wing, where we're constantly learning. And they need to be able to adapt. That's part of the innovation factor we've been talking about. And we need to remember that we're part of a team. Each person has their role. And if they can't see where they fit in that role, they need to know where they can go to gain a little bit of that understanding, whether it's from their frontline supervisor, whether it's from their first sergeant, their squadron commander, their group commander. As a matter of fact, when the wing commander has a commander's call, that's a great time that they can ask a question above and beyond that maybe they didn't feel comfortable with their squadron commander in that specific aspect. So when we have the time and the opportunities to interact with each other, it's key to get those questions out there, to gain understanding, to help each other figure it out. And then we can also talk to people about what their roles are and see what the bigger team does. Because if we know what we do as a team and how we all interrelate, we're able to function better. We're able to see how we fit into the larger Air Force picture. It's so far beyond Keesler and what we're doing in Air Education Training Command. It's beyond what they're doing in Air Combat Command. It's what we're doing overseas and in-country, as the commander was just talking about. It's the full picture. And people, our airmen, our civilians, our airmen with a capital A, it's important that they see that and see that it is nonstop training and nonstop learning. And hopefully they find that fun and exhilarating and they can get into that innovative spirit and boldly progress our Air Force to the next step. And I'd like to touch on a little bit of what Colonel Smith and Colonel Levitt are saying. You know, what I love about our mission statement is, 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 yes, we train, yes, we develop. And I think everybody understands that. But the inspire aspect of it, uh, to inspire someone is to reach into their heart and really get to the root of why you serve. The service aspect, the retainability. You know, we, we go out and about in the wing and around the Air Force and we get opportunities to talk to airmen at every level, airmen, big A airmen. Um, you know, you ask somebody, why, why did you join the Air Force? And they'll give you an answer. Uh, but it's when you ask them why they stay, it's not for the same reasons. Uh, they stay, and predominantly across the board, um, it's, it's because of the people. It's because of the team. It's because of the family. And that's the inspiration aspect of, I think, what's in our mission statement and what we really genuinely care about is growing better people, developing better people, and the inspiration side gets after that. And so we really look at that, that aspect. And, and if you look at our priorities, if you're inspired to serve, then you can get after every one of these five priorities that we have, caring for airmen and their families, enhancing personal professional development, uh, promoting innovation, those kinds of things. You have to be inspired to want to do that. You don't do that just because somebody said, here's your priorities, get after it. Um, and I think that's what we're trying to grow here at Keesler. And then the Keeslerettes will go out and populate the Air Force and, 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 and affect positive change. That's a, a, you know, a perfect segue into the next question here, Chief. You brought up our priorities. Uh, you know, we, we shifted those a little bit so we can make sure we talked about earlier how all the airmen could see where they fit in those priorities. Even if it's not all of them, they can see where, where they have a little bit of all of those. So how do you intend that these priorities are to be interpreted you know, at the group, at the squadron, at the flight level, and, you know, by individuals? What do, you, what do you hope that people see in those? So for me, I'm hoping that they take a look at these priorities and figure out um, am I putting the finite amount of resources and time and effort towards something within this list of priorities? My guess is that they are, because as we already know, this, this organization is a high-performing organization, 
and would not be if it was not focused on things that are this important, the mission, the people, developing, um, engaging in those community partnerships. So uh, so that's kind of my hope that it is sort of like a, a check, if you will. Am I, am I moving in the right direction? And what that does is it enables us to not micromanage a thing, which we don't because we have amazing leaders here in the wing. We just tell them, look, these are the priorities. Do what you do for the wing uh, in your organization, align with these things as best you can using the using the resources that you have. Um, no one has no one has enough people. No one has enough money. Probably not enough time. So there's always going to be a finite amount of resources to compete against. But what we're hoping is that the the resources that we do have, we can kind of move them in this direction. And I think. I really truly believe that most organizations in this wing, if not all of them, are exactly in this in the same arena we are. We're we're focused on the mission, we're focused on the people, we're focused on caring about the families that support the airmen, big A. Um, and we're working on those partnerships and relationships so that we can we can best serve uh, in our capacity. Colonel Lovett said it perfectly. She doesn't, it. doesn't need any backup. <laughs> doesn't need any backup. That's right. I, I the only thing I was going to add to that, it really wasn't an ad. It was just the initial part of your, your question was, how do we expect our airmen to apply the priorities? And it goes back to the word I said before, boldly, to, to grab hold of it, find out how they um, are incorporated in, into our, uh, our job, our mission, and then be excited about their part in it. And if they aren't necessarily excited about their specific role, find something within our organization that does excite them and then execute their mission and find ways to, I'll use the word incorporate again, incorporate their excitement into another aspect of the job that can help out the full team. That's why we have all these things going on, volunteering on base and off base supporting our family, supporting our airmen, supporting single airmen, supporting the children. There's so many different aspects that help us execute the mission that everybody should be able to find something that excites them that they can go out and just do. Colonel Smith, you talked about something earlier that kind of uh, kind of struck me is that nothing that we're doing here at Keesler is, is unique to Keesler. We're not developing these priorities out of thin air. We're pulling these from somewhere. And, and, you know, finding a sense of purpose, at least for me, and I think for a lot of airmen, is seeing where not only where we fit in in Keesler, but where we fit in in the Air Force and even in, in the United States. Uh, can you talk about how we derived some of our things from Second Air Force and from AATC and then ultimately from the Air Force? Where do we fit into their strategic plans and, and how do we develop our new mission and vision based on those? It kind of needs to be like a hand in a glove. You have maybe three layers of gloves. <laughs> no, we have the chief of staff and the secretary of the Air Force that are their overarching guidance and they're hopefully providing us actionable goals and requirements and plans. And then it goes down and I'll go down through, you know, AATC into second Air Force and they're developing their mission statement and their vision. As it stands right now, ours fits into there exactly. And that's why I use the hand in the glove example. We go right underneath second Air Force and we execute second air force's mission and vision exactly with ours it's it's very similar um and in some ways there's only a couple of words that are mi minorly different we are um in the job of recruiting training and educating airmen to deliver 21st century air power that's the mission statement 
How do we get that done? We look to see what we're asked to do by the Secretary of the Air Force and Chief of Staff of the Air Force, and we go from there. Uh, when you use the words themselves, sometimes they don't exactly fill you with a lot of exuberance, a lot of, man, I can really get behind that. And that's why we try to tie them into priorities. And that's why we then bring brought the squadron commanders into that conversation so they can gather our hopes and our expectations tie them all together and have them go out to the airmen and say, hey, this is how we fit in. Each squadron commander knows what their squadron does more specifically. So they have the capability of interacting more directly with them. And the way in which that we execute the mission falls in line with 2nd Air Force, AETC, and then Chief of Staff of the Air Force by just taking it to, to the higher level. So I know that this mission and vision was kind of just the tip of the spear. It's, it's how we got, it's, it was the spark that got started, but we're ultimately our goal is to create a, a strategic plan and to have a strategic plan, you know, for the future of Keesler Air Force Base, for the future of the 81st training wing. So can you kind of talk to me about what, a little bit about that strategic plan? We've got into the, the, the tip of the spear of the, the vision and mission. Let's talk about some of the, the meat and potatoes of what that strategic plan is. So with any strategic plan, um, you want to keep it classic and open enough that it can withstand the test of time and still move the organization forward in a positive direction. So with this strategic plan, you won't, you won't see that there are specific nuts and bolts. I mean, you can take it layers down, goals to get to the vision that you have in a strategic plan, but it sort of follows the priorities that we have. And then subsets of those priorities will set kind of broad focus areas that the various units in the wing can get behind. Um, and we'll just take caring for airmen and families, the first priority, um, as an example. So there are numerous ways that we do this in the wing. There are so many helping agencies and uh, organized uh, panels and boards that are specifically for that purpose, to care for the airmen and families. We all know that the, the personal strife at home involving families, the stress that uh, happens naturally, it happens in everyone's life. Um, that kind of stress and that kind of um, uh, pressure certainly impacts anyone's ability to focus on what they need to focus on at work. Um, sometimes it takes them out of work. It's just, it's one of those things. So uh, beyond those helping agencies that are specifically put here to care for airmen and families, what we wanted is for each commander to think through individually, how, how do I enable that and facilitate that within my organization? Is it that maybe I allow families to get more involved with social activities and we do more family days, um, functions involving the dependents and we focus some attention there? Or is it that I enable people to have a fairly normal duty day by mandating a, a specific schedule so that they can have some predictability and stability and still show up when they need to show up at home. Um, those kind of things are what we want our commanders and our leaders to start thinking about. How do you enable your airmen to have the kind of balance that everybody is, is striving for because no one wants to drop the ball on any part of their life? Uh, but to enable it requires leadership to kind of allow some measure of protection for uh, for individuals. 
And some of that is, you know, maybe you're the kind of leader that stays at work until 8 p.m. I don't encourage this, but take a minute to think about what that means for the people that work for you. They feel obligated to be there for you at 8 p.m. when you're still there slaving away um, at work. Um, maybe that's something you should consider um, while you're trying to create your own schedule and be disciplined about how you handle it. Uh, because there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure on our airmen to be everywhere and do everything and uh, complete so many commitments that it's it's difficult. So that could be one way of showing demonstrating care for your airmen. It's just being mindful of the kind of pressures uh, that they have in their lives. Um, obviously, there like I said, many many programs that are for airmen and families that are that are out there. So we would hope that commanders then would tap into that and use it based on what's happening in their organization at that time. Maybe they're seeing a spike in um, some kind of intermarital problems, communication problems, or maybe there's problems with um, special needs children, whatever the focus areas um, that can be derived from that scenario. Uh, maybe they can connect the dots for their airmen and seek some sort of assistance from an agency on behalf of the people in their organization. So that's kind of one of the things that we want to look at. But you could literally uh, dissect each one of these priorities based on your organization and what's happening. Um, it could it could shift the what kind of programs you want to bring in because every organization is different. The makeup of the organization is different. Challenges are going to be somewhat different. And so a commander has to be attuned to what those are in their organization and then connect the dots. If you were to take the uh, strategic plan that we've been developing under uh, Colonel Lovett's guidance and you tie it into the mission statement that I read earlier from ATC, which was to re recruit, train, and educate airmen to deliver 21st century air power. Within our strategic plan, we need to be able to see ourselves in that. However, do we necessarily recruit not as a specific job function within 2nd Air Force or within the 81st. However, we're always recruiting when we're out there showing how great our airmen are, how, how great the Air Force is. However, our main function goes within our mission statement, which is train, develop, and inspire premier warfighters. So we take the, the second two words over there, the train and educate, and we inculcate that into our mission statement. And then if you take the delightful read of our strategic plan, about seven pages long, it's not too long, it's manageable, and you can see some of the uh, focus items within our priorities that whether you're a civilian, a dependent, a military member, or a full-blown civilian, when I said civilian, I meant our, our civilian government employees, or just somebody downtown, Biloxi, that's interested in what we're doing. And you should be able to see how Keesler, your organization, you as a person, can get behind and understand that. We're trying to avoid... Um, if you want to call the word, I think your, your word for there is stovepiping our different areas so that some entities within the base don't necessarily see themselves in one of the priorities. We want them to, to be broad enough that each person can see themselves in there some way, or if it doesn't fall within their job jar, that they can go out and go above and beyond in a volunteering effort, in, a, in an outreach effort, something like that. And that goes... All the, it runs the gamut, like I said, between family members and, and uh, civilians from downtown as well as our military members. 
talking about, you know, we have this new strategic plan. This is a, a, a great reference document for our airmen, NCOs, senior NCOs and officers to kind of, you know, refer to it to see where they where they fit into this thing and to see how they how they contribute to the Air Force. You know, what what advice would you have or what what information could you provide? You know, that that new airman who, you know, maybe just started at the finance office. He's like, all I do is I crunch these numbers and I show up to work and I do numbers and I go home. And, and he just sees that he's got tunnel vision in what his job is there. You know, how, how do we get to them and how do, what, what role do we have as NCOs and as supervisors to, to explain to them, you know, how they fit in and why they are actually so important. Uh, we couldn't do the mission without them. We tell them, thank you. We tell them without you crunching those numbers, we don't get paid or this building doesn't get built or these opportunities for our wing, for our family members, for our single airmen, they don't get accomplished because you don't crunch those numbers. There's so many different ways we can do that. And we go back, it goes back to what I said before, it takes a team. We just need to highlight to them at each level how important they are to the overall mission. And whether we're talking about the strategic plan and our MVPs, or whether we're talking about them as an individual, them as a family entity, we need to make sure that we tie that in and show that to them and we need to make sure that they feel welcome to ask questions, to use that innovative experience that we are hopefully developing in them starting right here at Keesler and Tech Training. And so, and so on that note, um, when we talk about, uh, you mentioned the finance troop that's sitting there just pounding on numbers, right? Um, you know, as a, as a supervisor or a teammate, I think what you first have to get at is you have to figure out, you know, where does that person come from? What do they value? You know, what do they what did they bring into the Air Force with them? You got to get to know who they are. And if it's okay, I'll just refer back to a story that we heard, Colonel Lovett and I heard at a conference. Uh, this young lady, senior airman, her name was June Bell, um, and she wouldn't mind me using her name because uh, she's got a great story. And, we, and you hear that, you know, every airman has a story and they do, but as leaders, you just have to listen, you have to ask. Uh, and so I, I encourage all leaders out there to sit down with their airmen and learn about where they come from and what trials and tribulations and talents that they have, and then tap into that. And then I think only then can you get at that finance troop that's trying to figure out that all I do is push buttons and numbers. But anyway, June Bell, a uh, young lady, senior airman, um, been in the Air Force a little over three years, and uh, she had a lot of struggles growing up, you know, came from a broken home, uh, was abused, uh, got kind of tossed around and, uh, and, and really kind of lost her way and um, got pregnant and lost her baby and, and really didn't have nowhere to go. Mom really wasn't supportive. Dad wasn't in the picture. Um, and so somehow, some way, the Air Force recruited this young lady and, uh, and we got an outstanding teammate. Uh, but unfortunately, nobody learned of her story until she had over three and a half years in the Air Force. And so she didn't have an identity. She just came in the Air Force to get away from all of that. She didn't know how she fit in because nobody explained it to her. She didn't feel valued, but she stayed. And it wasn't until a little over three years that somebody asked her, hey, June, tell me a little bit about you. And then she shared her story. And so then she shared that same story with us as leadership, a leadership team. Um, and, and, and I heard her loud and clear, as did Colonel Levitt. And uh, so the takeaway there for me and, and Colonel Levitt as well was, 
you know, meet me at June, right? Uh, meet me, know who June is first. And then when you learn who June is, you can learn who Amber Bell is. And so back to your reference with the finance troupe, just pounding buttons at the, at the keyboard. How do I fit in? What's my identity? Um, am I valued? To answer those questions, you got to get to know who they are, where they come from, their story. And then, and only then, can you get after, this is how you fit into the big picture in the Air Force. This is why we value you. Do you understand that? And then that trust factor and, and us as a family. So we say that we're all family. We truly mean that. Uh, and that gets after retention. I mean, we're not going to retain people or, you know, we're not going to grow the Air Force by pushing more people through basic training. It's going to be through retaining the talent that we have. You know, right now we're about 321,000 people. Our chief of staff of the Air Force is trying to grow us to about 350, somewhere around there. We're going to do that at a slow, steady pace. It's got us on a great glide slope to do that. But it's not going to come from BMT. It is going to come from retaining the talent from within. And the only way to get after that is to find out where, where our teammates come from, uh, why they joined, and, and, uh, and, and only then can we really understand uh, what goes into that airman that's pushing those buttons at the finance or wherever they are. Yeah, that is a fantastic input. Meet me at June was what we was what we took away. Um, from the supervisor and leader perspective, I'd have to echo that and enabling our airmen to feel that sense of protection so that they can ask questions about what they do, that sense of connection, um, and then and then that sense of, of of being respected and valued. I think all of those are things that we, as a leader in an organization, and then all of us are. Um, need to kind of work toward that culture where people feel protected, connected, and respected. And that that enables this conversation to happen. Um, and and then and then ultimately that sense of value that we talked about earlier kind of blooms within an individual. Um, and and it is about them. It is about the individual. So that's kind of where we're focused. And then from the airman's perspective, you asked uh, what maybe they could do. And we we meet the the airmen that just come from basic training every week. Um, we get uh, about a hundred to one hundred and fifty of them every single week, and we ask them questions. But they ask us some pretty amazing, engaged questions. Um, but they they are starting out their career in a much better, smarter place than I think we did when we started. And so uh, to be a lifelong learner, this is where it starts. Uh, so we encourage them to do research in kind of where they're going when they get their assignments. They're very excited about it. Um, and so find out what the mission is uh, to become a lifelong learner. <laughs>